Life Audio. Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. Jamie Erickson is joining us again today, and we're going to look specifically at gentle summer homeschooling and dive into some tricks and tips to keep the learning moving forward, even though your days may not look quite so schoolish. Jamie Erickson encourages and equips moms all around the globe as part of the Mom to Mom podcast through her blog, The Unlikely Homeschool, through her membership community, The Bibliophiles, at national conferences like Teach Them Diligently and in her books. She's been married to her college sweetheart for over 20 years, and together they're raising and launching their five kids along the shores of Lake Superior in Minnesota. She has a lot of wisdom to offer all of us, so you're in for a real treat today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Summer is a great time to get ready for the next homeschool year. And my new book, Heart School, How Amazing Parents Become Excellent Home Educators, will help you do just that by giving you insight and action points to line the way your home and your homeschool runs with the mission that God has given you. Go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash book to pick up a digital copy of the book for only $5 and get started today. There's assessments in there to help you really get a handle on where you are right now and to get you started on the path to where you want to be. So go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash book and pick up your copy today. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're back with us today. It's always an honor and a joy to chat with you, Leslie. I feel like we're kindred spirits. I know. I have absolutely felt that way since the first time that we actually met. And um, just I'm so grateful for the way that God knits people's hearts together and just the way that he he allows us to serve him in very similar ways and kind of in the same pool a lot of times. It's been a joy. Yep. It's wonderful to be on mission with you, friend. I agree. I agree. Well, for those that are not familiar with you and, you know, they've been hiding under a rock, I think, because you're so <sighs> you've got so much going on. And I'm I so enjoy reading what you write, listening to your podcast. Would you tell us, though, just a little bit of the various ways that that God is enabling you to reach out to other people in this season of your life? Sure. Well, I was a trained teacher in the classroom, and my husband, before graduating high school, he had been homeschooled the majority of his years. And I never thought I would homeschool. But, you know, we we might plan our ways, but God really directs our steps, doesn't he? And he knew all along that I needed to bring their learning home. And I've been doing that ever since we launched our first two, maybe three years ago. The timeline is escaping me. But We launched her and we have another one coming down the pike. He'll be a senior next year. We'll have two other high schoolers. So we'll have three high schoolers next year, Leslie. Super fun. And then we'll have a middle schooler. Oh, yes. I am learning that the high school years are some of the best years. So if you're listening out there, Mama, and you're really, you know, fearful of those um, latter years of homeschooling, don't because they will be some of your most favorite. I have no doubt. Oh, absolutely. We have said all along We love every season, but then like the next season becomes our favorite. And that has happened. We're now within the next six months, we have two getting married and one probably moving to Poland to go on the mission field. And it's it's like, okay, now I'm really scared about that season, but it's going to be the best too, because God has been so faithful all along the way. And it's so neat. And I think you would attest to this. 
God grows us as parents and prepares us just as he's growing our kids so that as we enter that next season, now all of a sudden we are teen moms or we are Mm -hmm. young adult moms or whatever. We weren't two or three years before. So when we're like borrowing trouble and so worried about things, it's it's literally that you're borrowing trouble because God works in his timeline and he prepares everything and makes it wonderful in his time. Right. And we have no need to mourn the loss of seasons past because we have the joys of season present. And we don't need to, you know, Satan wants us to live in all the places we can't control the past and the future. You know, I say embrace the right now because this is where all the fun is happening right now to to be able to watch what the Lord is doing with my kids, my teens especially. Oh, it's so true. And the conversations and the things that you can do together and the memories that you can make just keep getting better and deeper and richer and more complex. And yeah, and I love the way that you brought our attention really to that right where we are, the present, seizing those moments, enjoying the time that God gives us. There's just so much wisdom there. And and actually, it's a great launching off spot because we're going to look at kind of a season of the year this year or this today on the podcast. But really, it involves seizing the summer and making the most of it, both from a learning and a relational standpoint. Mm-hmm, that's right. So how do you, I guess the first question that I would have for you, are you a year-round homeschooler? Do you, you know, does does business, do, do you keep pursuing that education all year long in the same way or does it look different? You know, I think if, if, if I lived in some sort of utopia and I could have the weather be whatever I wanted it to be, I think I would really embrace Sabbath schooling really well because I think, you know, God had the right idea with that six on one off sort of pattern. But I live in a place in the United States where I feel like we have summer for maybe two seconds. And, and I realize <laughs> it's more than that, but it feels like that to me. So I don't want to miss out on one single moment of the summer. And because of that, then I just take a real hard stop to the traditional forms of learning. And hear me when I say that. I'm not saying I take a hard stop to learning. I just take a hard stop to the traditional, more formal ways of doing school. There's still plenty of learning happening. I like to call it my gentle summer schooling patterns and habits. But I, I do kind of put a pause on most things. I need it. My kids mm-hmm. need it. Quite frankly, sometimes even the dog needs it. You know, we just are all ready for a change. And and I think that's, that's a good thing to remember when we're thinking about summer. There's a reason that there's a shift in season. We all need a shift in season. And God kind of designed it that way. And I think sometimes when we continue to march forward as homeschoolers and keep thinking that we have to just keep beating that drum, beating that drum, mm. beating that drum, we're missing out on some of the goodness of a season shift. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, you'll find, and I would say that probably anyone who is homeschooled for any length of time kind of laughs at that whole 180 day thing yes. that we have to sign. It's like, we, we're we learning and growing together every day of the year. That's the easy, uh-huh. that 180 days is easy, but right. it does look different. It is, I, I so appreciate your noting that that you need a break and a change in season and, and your kids need that mix up. Uh-huh. You know, God in his wisdom created these rhythms of our lives. And when we push through them and when we don't allow there to be a respite time, a mix up time, a time to catch our breath and even, 
you know, do things a little bit differently, we set ourselves up to be brittle, to be overwhelmed, to be just burnt out where we're going to give up a lot more easily. Or at least that's how I've kind of seen both when I push through myself, but also as I've talked to others. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. I think if you're going to have longevity in this thing, then you need to set up some rhythms that are sustainable and continuing to just sort of like plot along like we got to finish that math book and we have to finish those grammar drills. It becomes a drain. It's certainly not a delight for sure for you or for them. And you sort of lose all of the the aspects of homeschooling that you were really hoping to have when you first started out homeschooling, the the sort of delight, the different way, if you will. Well, it also starts to really eke away at your relationship. There becomes friction, which can cause breaks. And we don't want to do anything that is going to set us up for friction in our relationships with our spouse, with our children, with you know, with anyone that is right there in our sphere of influence. And so I think that it's really important to keep our mission in mind and to to recognize that the academics, the workbooks, like you were talking about, all of these things are subservient to our overall mission. And when you line them up right, you find that a lot of that friction just kind of naturally falls away because the mission, you're all kind of pursuing the same thing then. Yeah, I think that we would do well as parents to remember the verse, Don't provoke your children to wrath, especially for those of us who live in a place where, you know, for the majority of the summer months, other kids in the neighborhood are not doing school. Mm -hmm. I think we're kind of poking and prodding or poking at the bear when we insist that our kids continue to plod along through the summer when they see that no other kids around are. Now, hear me. I'm not saying we have to do everything that the traditional school down the street does. Obviously, I chose homeschooling because I don't want to do all of those things. But I think we we would be remiss to not acknowledge the feelings of our kids when they see, you know, all the other kids in the neighborhood down at the beach or out riding bikes or doing, you know, whatever. And they're stuck at the table doing math. I think yeah. we, we just need to call a spade a spade and say, you know, it is summer. It might be time for a change in pace. That's not to say that the learning stops and we can talk about different ways of really nurturing and cultivating an atmosphere of learning, even when it looks different in the summer. Yeah. And that actually was where I was going to try to direct the conversation next is we've talked a lot and you've mentioned two or three times now that the learning doesn't stop. You know, that the school, the kind of air quote school may stop. You may put the, the very structured academic looking school day away for a while, but learning never, ever stops. It's never supposed to. So how does that gentle learning really look in the summer or really any other season? Because I I suspect that this could be applicable to even seasons when there are health issues or, or you know, you're caring for a member of the family or something has come up where it, it requires a little bit of a break from normal. How can those breaks, those respite times look a little different, but continue the learning and really probably strengthen that love of learning in your kids? Hold that thought. We will be right back after a short break. Right. Well, I think first and foremost, you need to allow regular everyday living to count. Like when my kids are in the kitchen and they're helping me cook dinner, 
I can see that as, hey, learning is happening here. I went on a trip with my middle son and he had never been on an airplane before. So I helped him navigate the airport all the way to our destination and made him navigate all the way back. That counts. So first and foremost, we just need to start acknowledging that some of these less structured things in our kids' lives actually do count as learning. And then I think it's also summer is a great time to insert some of what I like to call like the jazz hands of school that you might really want to get to in the middle of the school year, but maybe you don't have the time or the energy. It's just not the right season. Well, summer is a great time to do that because you've sort of pulled back and scaled back on all those other things. So I'm thinking of things like art. You know, if you're not the mom who really loves to clean up that big old mess of glitter and glue and paint in the middle of the school day, summer's a great time to do that. Bring it outside on the porch and then you can just hose it off. Watching documentaries with my kids. It was pouring down rain yesterday. You know, baseball was canceled. None of the neighborhood kids were out playing and they were bored. Well, that was a great time to watch a documentary that maybe had been sitting in our, you know, to be watched list for a while. Taking field trips. Never underestimate just the family trips that you take in the summer. Those count. And you don't necessarily have to tack on a bunch of review questions or comprehension drills or, you know, assign book reports to let it count. It can just count because they were learning as they were doing. One of the things that we did Every single summer, especially when my kids were little, we don't do it so much anymore because our summers are filled with like summer jobs and summer sports. But when my kids were all in the early elementary school years, I always saved nature study for summertime. And part of that is because of where we live. You know, we're swathed in snow for nine months out of the year. It's really hard (laughs) to examine a blade of grass when there's no grass to be seen and won't be for months and months and months. So we started the summer by selecting one part of nature that we were really curious about. One year it was birds. Another year it was trees. Another year it was flowers and ants. And we just picked one part of nature. And we spent the entire summer reading books about that, going out into nature with our field guides, looking intently for those things, maybe even doing some nature journaling. And that was our focus for the summer. It made for some gentle learning and it allowed us to learn about something that maybe we wouldn't have the time or in our case, the ability to learn as well in different seasons. Another thing that I always instituted in the summer when my kids were little was a quiet time basket. And this is when I still had some kids who napped, but I had some kids who had grown beyond naps. You know, when they're together with their siblings all day, day in and day out, especially in the hot months of summer, you know, the temperature rises and sometimes so do our attitudes. Mm -hmm. And so it was gentle, quiet time basket was a great way to sort of hit refresh on the day and give everybody a chance to just like take a deep breath have some calm white space in their day. So I just had a basket that sat in our dining room and I filled it up with new library books. I checked out some games from the library, maybe some of those like picture flashcards that have, you know, the characters from all of their favorite shows or, you know, the Star Wars characters or whatever it was. I put it in the, a basket and at the beginning of our quiet time, everybody had to take two things out of the basket 
and then go to a separate room. They had to be in a room where no one else was, even if they shared a room with their sibling. Well, if if your sibling is sitting in on his bed in, in the room, then you have to be maybe in the living room or the dining room. You just spread out, had your own space, and I would set a timer. And at first it was only for five minutes when we were first starting. But by the end of it, you know, they started to enjoy that quiet alone time. And we were spending, you know, a half hour, sometimes even an hour sitting by ourselves, enjoying a quiet, mellow activity right in the middle of the day when we just needed to reset. Now, you could call that, you know, like a mama break. And yes, that's what it was. <laughs> but there was so much learning happening yeah. because, you know, all the things that they would pull out of the basket. I had a lot of like books on tape with earbuds that they could put in or, you know, those little multiplication songs that you can check out from the library. So tons of learning was happening, but I wasn't having to do any of the work. And because it looked different to them, it didn't feel like school. Oh, that is so many good ideas there. I love (laughs) how you would send them to different parts of the house, give them that alone time. I think one of the things that I fought against, and I suspect others do as well. We hear over and over and over about fostering these close relationships and we want them to do everything together. And and we forget that they're actually humans who need that time to detox and refresh. And, And I saw it especially like where I could visibly see it as they got into those middle school years, those teen years where they can now speak up and say that they need a little bit, you know, I, I just need to be alone. You know, th- they would share a room and one would go in the closet and one would be out because they had a an innate human need to just be quiet and still and by themselves for a while. And it's so important that we as moms recognize that in them and not fight against it, because that's another way I think that without even thinking about it, we're able to provoke our children to wrath by just keeping them over-programmed, over-socialed, you know, with their brothers and sisters and not allowing them to have that quiet time all by themselves. And when they're really little, they don't have the words or even the knowledge to know that that's what they need, that the tensions rise, they get, you know, their feathers ruffled, they're always constantly bickering. They don't realize what they really need is just like a hot minute to be by themselves. So that's a good time to start that is when they're little. And also, I would say it's setting an example for the long term to say to our kids, we are designed to need rest. And you can't just go, 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 go. And certain personalities of kids, and dare I say it, certain personalities of adults really struggle to allow themselves to just rest with a little bit of white space, especially if you're an extrovert. Even extroverts need a little bit of white space in their day. And I think that modeling for that, modeling that to them when they're little and actually putting it as a line item in the summer schedule really does help to teach them that really important life skill of just pausing and resetting. That is such a good point. And I'm so glad that that you brought that up because that is that's not talked about. We don't, you know, throw that out a lot. And yet it is so valid and so important for the well-being of our kids, for their development, for their creativity, for all of these things. And yet I think that We just get so focused on the relationship that we so want them to have and the selflessness and all of this stuff that we forget about those actual needs that they have to be alone. 
one thing that you mentioned was library and you would go to the the library, you check out games, check out all of these resources. You know, for me, I never used the library well. That was, that's probably, as, as I look back when my kids were younger, that was like my biggest blind spot. We'd go, we'd get books, but I never really used the library well. So for, for those that are like me, that are like, man, people talk about the library, like it's so awesome. Could you help us with how can we use the library better? What are some things that we may not think of that the library is really great for? Because I honestly, I never thought about checking out games in the library. You said that and I'm like, where was I all these years? Yes. So, so can you help us uncreative ones who just don't think it through that much? How can we use the library? And this is year round, but but I think that you'll see it a lot. And this is a great time to get started in this summertime of, you know, just they're going to get hot. They're going to want quiet things to do. So how do we use the library better? Yeah, especially if you're like me and you don't have central air, the library can be a great (laughs) cooling off spot in the summer. You know, and the library can sometimes be a tricky place for moms because especially the public library can't just always be a free for all, like, you know, opening the gate and just releasing them to choose whatever, eeny, meeny, miny, mo their way through the library. And we can talk about that in a bit. But I think the library, when utilized well, can be a great summer resource, you know, Setting aside the obvious, which is like the summer reading programs that are, you know, inundating every library around this time of year. Those are great. It's a great way to to sort of spur your kids on to want to turn more pages when they, you know, there's a built-in prize or a carrot at the end of it. But also at the library in the summer, there's typically because libraries are run publicly funded, they often receive grants. They pull in lots of artisans throughout the summer It's not uncommon for our library to host like face painting or we had a man come. He was a juggler and he performed all these acrobatic tricks out in the courtyard of our library. Musicians will come. We've even had a zoo mobile come. So it's like a one and done activity or you can even call it like a camp day to go to the library and participate in all of these really great events for free at the library. Utilize the audiobook section, especially in the summer. If you're going on a a really lengthy trip, I know our library doesn't just have books on CD, but they also utilize the Libby app where you can listen on your phone or in your earbuds and the Hoopla app. So that's a great resource for the summer when you're going on long trips or just sitting at the beach and you want to pop in your earbuds while you're, you know, playing in the sand or whatever. Definitely avail yourself of that. And yes, the library has a surprising number of non-book items Hmm. that you can check out. Games, puzzles. I know our library has preschool book kits similar to book club kits where you there's a big old bag of like 10 of the same novel. These are kits put together specifically for preschoolers where there's a picture book and then puppets to go along with that book or maybe a game or a craft or a hand craft that you can do and it's all put together for you and you can check it out and then return it when you're done. So the library is a is a great inroad. But here's the caveat. You and I both know that not every single book on a library shelf can be an automatic yes. We want right. our kids to read. We want to nurture in them just a robust appetite for reading because we know that once they learn to read, then they can spend a lifetime reading to learn. So it is a matter of, one, cultivating in them just some real discernment 
for good, clean, quality literature. But that discernment first starts when you select books for them that are clean and captivating. And if you are listening and you are really struggling in that area, maybe that's not your gifting of, you know, being able to pick out great kid lit from the shelves. I really would welcome you to join us in the Bibliophiles community. That's entirely what what our community is all about, just sort of matching up clean, captivating books with the right kids. And I personally vet every single title that I recommend. I read every single one. I was a children's librarian for years, also a teacher in the classroom for years. I run several kid and tween and teen book clubs. And I just feel like I love partnering with parents to help them develop a love for literature in their kids. And and if, if you're willing to let me, I'd love to partner with you to do that. That is such a great resource. Yeah, Even when my kids were younger, the the overtness, the amount of really trash that was available yes. for the kids, it was not on the same level at all. And, you know, by the time that my youngest came along, it was really creeping up. But what the young moms deal with today is miles, miles beyond anything that I dealt with when my children were so young that we were really, really being super careful with everything that that they picked up. You know, now they've gotten to where they they do have the discernment and they they got to learn to self-regulate. But back then I did not have the same level of difficulty in finding titles that were appropriate as the young moms do now. And so I'm so grateful that there is a spot to to get that kind of information and those kind of helps. I just imagine that it's the peace of mind and the the really empowerment that it gives to moms to go in there and know this is okay. You know, this is right. this is trustworthy. It's just a huge blessing. Yeah, to be able to have a list to take with you to the library because, you know, I I feel like we're living in an age or the church is in an age where we have a wonderful plethora of like Christian fiction even for kids and I think that's wonderful, but the sad part is not many of those books are in our public library. And we don't always have the budget to be able to afford those books. So I really want to be able to provide lists for parents that they can just like print out and take right to the library and know that those are books that will be on the shelf. They're traditionally published, but they have been vetted for language, sexual content, even just like agenda, real um, Mm -hmm. liberal agenda and sexual agenda. And they've sort of been vetted through and, and weeded through. And at the end, you know, the cream really does rise to the top. So here are the best of the best on your library shelves. That's that is fantastic. Before I, I've got a couple of other questions for you, but while we're kind of in this this spot, where can they find out about this community? I know you've mentioned that 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 uh, it's a membership community. There's a Facebook group. Where can they get details? Because if I was listening right now, I would want to know that. So let's right. let's go so in you, and inject it right now. Well, you can go to jamieerickson.com and tab. Click on the Bibliophiles tab and it'll give you all the information you need to be able to link arms with us. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure that we link that in the show notes as well. But I wanted to make sure that everyone knew right then. But kind of getting back and finishing our discussion Mm -hmm. on the gentle summer homeschooling and, and really kind of going all the way back to the academic, the really looks like school time. There's the age-old question of finishing what you started, finishing your books, you know, pursuing it all the way to the end. As a classroom teacher and a homeschool teacher, 
Where do you come down on that? Because I even talked on Sunday to a mom at church who is still pressing forward because they haven't finished the curriculum. And I, I, I know what I told her, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. There's there's this great divide, isn't there? The moms who <laughs> finish that math book and the moms who don't. Well, um, at the risk of sounding divisive, and I and I hope that I don't. I actually hope this is very freeing, a freeing conversation for many moms who feel that burden, that pressure to finish the book. I will say this: in the last fifteen, sixteen years of homeschooling, I have never finished a math book. No, yep. My kids have not, and I would argue that even in my years of classroom. I never finished a book. I would even go so far as to say that the majority of kids in the classroom today never finish their books. And here's why. Curriculums are actually designed not to be finished. They're designed that you would get through about 75% of the book, and that would cover both the reviewed material as well as all the new material that they would learn for their grade level. If you think about the fact that curriculums typically have four parts, the first fourth of the standard, you know, traditional curriculum, and I'll just use math because I feel like that's the one that most moms are like, no, we have to finish the math book or no summer for you. The first fourth of that math book is going to most of the time, especially in the early and middle school years, going to be review material of the previous years of school. The middle two portions, so the the second, fourth, and the third, fourth of that that math book, that's going to be your new material, your age-specific or grade-specific scope and sequenced material. And then it's the very last fourth of the book that is a lot of new material that they probably won't actually be taught until a couple years from now, or it will slowly wow. roll out in the next few years. And that's sort of to wet their whistle, to give them just a, a peek to peel back the layers of, you know, if they're in fourth grade this year, peel back the layers of fifth grade and sixth grade, seventh grade to wet the, their whistle. It's also a lot of review of the previous months that they just sat through in fourth grade. So in hearing that, what I'm actually saying is, if you can get through that first fourth of the book of review, And the second and third fourths of the book, so basically three fourths of the book, you have gotten through all of the fourth grade material. And also you need to remember that they'll get a thorough review again at the beginning of the year. All that to say, I've never been one who has said, you know, we have to finish this math book. And I live in a state that is that requires me to give my kids annual achievement tests every year. Please hear me when I say my children are not geniuses. They're not exceptionally academic any more than any other kids, but they are well above grade level in every single subject, not because they're geniuses, but I don't finish books and they're still doing okay. But what I do do is capitalize on that relationship. And I think that that really is the key. So I hope that that's freeing to you if you're listening. Curriculums are actually designed that you would not finish them 100%. And no teacher in any classroom can say, yep, we've finished every single thing, checked <laughs> off every single box. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I we we did the same. We never finished. Now, we would finish like history, but that was just because we loved cuddling up and we'd just keep going until we were done with it. Yes, yes. But so that became <laughs> more fun time, cuddle time, than actual academic time. But but yeah, math, spelling, all of those things 
there was a time and you just, the, it's almost like you feel it in your soul. It is time to pack it up and move on to another time. And at least that's, that's the way it always was for me. There was a time when my soul said, move on. And it always worked out just fine. And you know what? I would say you del- you then launch into the next school year with anticipation. Right. Because you've had a bit of a break and now your kids are more eager to launch into this new thing because it's new and fresh and not just stale and sort of plodding along for the past three months. Well, exactly. And that actually kind of sets up the next thing and, and probably the last thing we have time to talk about. And that is, how do you use summer, this this respite break, gentle learning time to prepare yourself or even kind of, I guess, pay it forward to your full-time self? How does that look for you guys? Yeah, that's such a great question. I'm going to take my kids out of that altogether because, you know, the the planning and the responsibility of organizing the school day is kind of more on my shoulders. Now, I might defer to them or ask for their help, you know, the there have been many a time where they've sort of reorganized the school shelves for me, that sort of thing. But as far as like the planning and the organizing, the ordering of curriculum, that's sort of my summertime task. Typically, I take the first couple of weeks in, we end school at the end of May. So I take the first couple of weeks of June to just completely wrap up that school year. That means I make a portfolio of our year. And I and I talk about that on my blog. If you're interested, I can provide a link for you. I, I'm not going to take the time to talk about it right now. But I make a portfolio to sort of gather all of the best of the best of the year to have in one spot to show the state that we are, in fact, learning. And I sort of set aside all the books that we had done in that previous year. And then throughout middle June, that's when I begin to pack up those books, sort of shift and um, clean up all of our homeschool spaces, kind of reset it all, organize the pencils, you know, throw away the dead markers, that kind of thing. And I'm also thinking ahead to the next year and planning curriculum, which which educational paths we want to take for that next year. By the end of June, which is about right now, and I'm uh, to be honest, I'm a little behind, I start <laughs> ordering that curriculum. And then I take July and the first part of August to begin planning my school year. And I actually do map out the entire school year in summer. I don't set it in stone. I don't write it down in permanent ink. I just set the skeleton or the bones of the year of our schedule so that I don't have to expel a lot of energy in the school year, you know, planning week by week or day by day. I want to really be able to, one, enjoy that time with my kids and not feel like, oh, I'm always behind. I need to plan for the next week. And two, when I have that schedule set in stone and sort of the plans, the lesson plans, the bones of them are already created, I feel more at ease and welcome to take a lot of rabbit trails because the foundation has been laid and I can easily hop back onto the plan if I veer off from it a little bit. But It's just a whole lot easier in the day-to-day workings of my homeschool when I can open up my lesson plan and just see, yep, this is what we're doing today. And should I want to take, you know, the exit ramp over here and veer off on a rabbit trail for a while, I can, and then just hop right back onto it. So I really do use the summer as a way to pay it forward to myself so that I can enjoy the school year so much more. There's already enough wouldn't you say there's already enough, Leslie, going on in the school year? If I can take a few things off my plate ahead of time, it just makes for a much more enjoyable nine months. 
Oh, it does. And like you noted, it gives you the freedom to really invest in going for the hearts of your kids. So through those detours, through those conversations, really strengthening those relationships because you're not distracted and always feeling like you're trying to catch up. So just again, so much wisdom in what you've shared today. Jamie, we are out of time, but I'm so grateful that you joined us. Can you tell everyone one last time where they can find you and you know how they can engage with you further? Yeah, the best place is just jamieerickson.com. That's where you can see when the next episodes of the Mom to Mom podcast get dropped. You can read my blog or even find out about my books. And I have one upcoming, so you'll maybe be the first to hear about that. Well, yay, so exciting. I know that uh, your other two have been really, really phenomenal. Why don't you just go ahead and make sure that they know what your other books are so that they know what they're looking for when they go to your site? Yeah. So my first book was Homeschool Bravely. And then my second book, which came out last August, was called Holy Hugo. And I can't tell you what the title of the next book is, but I'll tell you this. If you are overwhelmed in your motherhood, this might be a book for you. Awesome. Very exciting. I know a lot of us would fit that description. So thank you for pouring into us. Thank you again for joining us today, Jamie. It's been a joy. And everyone else, thank you guys for joining us too. We tell you all the time that the Great Commission starts at home. Everything that you do with your children is designed to strengthen that platform that you have to bring them to Jesus, to invest in them, shepherd their hearts. And the way that you use your summer is really a great jumping off spot for that. You have the opportunity to invest deeply in relationships, learn naturally together, and even as Jamie was talking at the end, to prepare yourself well for the next year so that you are ready to hit the ground running when the time comes. So I encourage you to use this summer well and enjoy it very, very well with your family. Uh, Go take a look at the Heart School book. I do believe that it will be a great help as you're getting ready to start this next year on mission. Again, that's at teachthemdiligently.net forward slash book. You can get that in a digital copy there, or it's a printed copy if you want to search it on our site as well. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. We'd love to engage with you more, so check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm.